Well, good morning again. I'll just wait at the band sits. Um, it's nice to see you all. I hope you're well. We're going to be looking at Philippians 3 today. If I may, I'll just put this down here. It's just easier for me. I'm going to read it, and if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it. I haven't brought any PowerPoint um, or anything like that. We're just going to look at God, God's Word together. So, Philippians 3, and we're reading uh, from verse 1 to verse 11. And I'm reading from an NIV version. Uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your blessing upon us here. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit, and I pray, Lord, that you would reveal all truth to us through your word here this morning. I pray we will be blessed by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, I'm Ed Morrow. I'm, uh, I'm living in Sunderland at the moment. We tried to start a church there, Cindy and I, some time ago. And uh, I was the last lead elder at uh, Rickleton Chapel. Some of you may know, um, historically, Leon Ledoon and them. I sort of came after them. Closed it down, moved everybody to Sunderland. Then I closed that down. I'm very good at that, and um, brought everybody into city church because I figured after 10 years of turmoil they'd had enough. And most people have stayed there, and that's where we are now. Now this um, letter of Paul's is really important, and the idea here is, is quite difficult for us in the 21st century to get hold of. But let me tell you a bit about myself. I, I went to boarding school. I was uh, once deemed the cleverest lad in Gateshead. 
which isn't, you know, sin, <laughs> sin a lot. But um, that is what happened, believe it or not. My father had just died, and then what happened was um, I got this scholarship, and they shipped me off to boarding school. Um, what, the reason I'm telling you this is because I, I was a bit of a bad lad, and you're going to hear a bit about that later on. Um, we had a water tower. It was a huge thing. And you, you climbed up it in a ladder, um, and the idea was, that if you imagine the water tower shaped like this, and you kind of climbed up on the inside of the ladder, and then there's a bit like that, like at a 45 degree angle, that you climb up on the inside to be safe, and then you reach the top. Well, me and some of my fellows one morning, we shinned down, we got out the dormitories through a window, shinned down the drain pipes, and... Um, we decided to climb the water tap. And we went up, and uh, when we got to the part where you meant to go on the inside like this, I was about 14 or 15 at the time, I said, wouldn't it be good, wouldn't it be a dare, if we sort of climbed up on the outside, so 60 foot in the air, climbing up on the outside of this water tower. And that's what's happened here. What's happened is, some of the what we call Judaizers. They're not Jews, they're Christians. Right? They, they, they've decided to climb the water tower the wrong way. What happens is you can't reach the top anywhere going the dangerous way. You have to come all the way back down and go up the safe way and climb it all over again. And that's the problem, what's happening here, what Paul's writing to the Philippians about. It's happened in other churches and he's warning them against this. So the problem here is these Judaizers were going around pointing the finger. What they're saying is that these are, these are Christians who are teaching that it's Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus food laws. That there's no rightness with God, there's no righteousness without food laws and circumcision. Unless you keep the relig- religious law, you are unclean and not right before God. So they're saying it's Christ plus the old 500 odd Jewish laws that there were. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. Their message is you cannot be saved unless you do this circumcision stuff as well as believing in Jesus. And in a number of other churches they were starting, if you like, to climb the water tower in a dangerous way. And it's important for Paul to write to them again just to be sure. He describes them as dogs. Now that's ironic, because it's a common term that the Jews would use for the Gentiles, or the non-Jews, all of us. They would call us dogs. The irony would not be lost on the church at Philippi. And these Judaizers are going through the churches, pointing the finger and saying, you're unclean unless you have this other stuff as well. And Paul wants to protect the church in Philippi and for them to know they belong to God. But they mustn't pick the wrong way to do it. They mustn't go up the water tower the wrong way, in other words. Going up the outside, food laws and circumcision, doesn't get you anywhere. You just have to come all the way back down and start again and go up the right way. So it's possible to do that. No matter how religious or zealous for God you are, nothing you can do, can make you right with God. That is the message of the Gospel. 
Jesus himself has revealed to Paul on the Damascus road that there is nothing he can do to make himself right with God. Paul has his previous life in view. Everything that he has done to make himself right with God. He lists them all. These are all the things. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm, in terms of the, the doing the law, I'm a Pharisee. That's who he was. He's faultless at doing the bits of the law that they have to do. He's followed them better than anyone else. He is more qualified than anyone to become righteous through his religious zeal. He even oversaw the stoning to death of Stephen as the people who were stoning Stephen laid their uh, tunics and coats and clothes at the feet of Saul as he was then. But this is what Paul knows. Paul knows it is not possible to be made right with God through religious observance. In Ephesians 2, 8 it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It is by faith in Christ alone. This is the only way that we can be reconciled with God. It's faith in Christ alone. And Paul knows this because whilst he wasn't uh, one of the original apostles who spent time with Jesus while he was alive, the risen Christ appeared to him, knocked him off his horse on the Damascus, Damascus road and spoke to Paul very directly. And then we had the whole episode where Paul goes away, he's told where to go, he goes, the scales on his eyes, and they eventually drop off after some time. Paul has been turned from a man who wants to kill and persecute Christians to one who is leading the establishment of the church in the world. Now think about that for a minute. He's persecuting the church, he's killing Christians, and now he's one who is leading the establishment establishment of the church in the world he's a man who has experienced and knows the love and forgiveness of God and his heart has been softened so he can share what he's seen and heard about Jesus with people he would normally point the finger at he would have been one of those people Paul has seen that God chooses people from every nation to be his people not just from Israel and that you can tell who they are not by the religious observances they do but by God's Holy Spirit. It's not by observance of this or that religious rite that makes us Christians. What marks us out as a Christian is that God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in us and changes us from the inside. And he has seen this and he has seen that God is passionately pursuing every person from every nation, including all of us in this room. God is passionately pursuing you. All the over 60s here, God is passionately pursuing you. All the under 60s, God is passionately pursuing you. It doesn't matter what nation you're from or how old you are. And you might ask, well, okay, but can't I just go to church at Christmas and Easter or every week? Surely God accepts people if they're nice. What's this big deal about being right 
with God. What is this righteousness stuff all about? Well, it's a big deal because of a thing called sin. And uh, when I say the word sin, or sinful, or sinner, our instant response may be to think of a vengeful God pointing the finger of judgment at us. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Some churches and some Christians like to point the finger while saying this. You're a sinner. But when God tells you you're a sinner, He does it because of what it's done to you and because He loves you. It has separated you from Him and His love. Sin has spoiled everything. It's brought us nothing but trouble, evil, and separation from God. He is angry that sin has come into His creation and He wants it out. To understand sin, the best way to do it is to think of a back door. If, you, if you've ever needed a door, you know what that's like. The whole of humanity... Everybody who has ever lived or will live is part of this batch of dough. And if you've ever made bread, you put a little bit of yeast in and it works through the dough. So it's in the whole batch and it's what causes it to rise. Sin is like some yeast that gets into the batch because the first man, Adam, sinned. And it gets mixed in to the whole batch. You can't get it out. It only takes a tiny amount to work through the entire thing. And once it's in, there's nothing we can do to get it out. You can't extract the yeast from the the batch of dough. So you can see why Paul would be so passionate about the idea that religious zeal and observance can do nothing about it. All the dough is affected. We are all affected by sin. I'll tell you a story. A number of years ago, um, I ran my own business. I was in computing and uh, I used to do a lot of work actually it's funny I used to do a lot of work in Northern Rock here and um, I think I put the first ever PCs they ever had in there when PC stood for personal computer not political correctness and um, I did a lot of that kind of stuff and uh, I, I ended up working for Sainsbury's in London for a while and uh, in London, the trains are really important. You have to get the train everywhere. Not so much up here, but down there, it's really, really important. What happened was, um, you couldn't get a seat, let alone stand. I remember once a project manager from Sainsbury's, she, I, was, I was living with a family for a while, staying with them during the week and going home at weekends. What happened was, she got on at uh, Greenwich. I used to get on at Woolwich before her. And she got on, and she stood there with chatting away, and the train got more crammed and more crammed and her hands were trapped down here like this and uh, her, she's only little and I came off the ground that's how bad it was and then she got a nosebleed and I was like having to wipe my nose like this so it was my surprise one night when I got on a train and there was a huge gap a huge gap there was a massive gap in the train I thought seat, can't believe it so I went running towards this gap, and as I got closer and closer, I could see the people like, like this. And there was a man there, and he was lying across two seats. He was stinking. He absolutely stunk. His hair was matted with, I don't know what. There were lice in. It was grey. 
curly, matted up hair. His trainers were disgusting. He was covered in excrement on his feet. He was just a, a total state. And here's the problem. Because everybody's repulsed by this guy. And there was a big space around him. And even the two seats opposite, you couldn't take. He is an image of what our sin looks like to a holy God. Sin is a real problem. Sin is why people do evil things. It's why you have dirty thoughts about your neighbor's wife. It's why you cheat on your husband. Sin is why you fiddle your expenses. It's why people kill each other. There's an a encyclopedia of wars written by Philip and Axelrod. It's three volumes. And it states that of all the wars we know, 4% have been caused by Islam, 3% by other faiths, and 93% by non-religious motivations and naturalistic philosophies. And in a way, it's irrelevant who caused them. Because religion, philosophy, a selfish gene or political ideology isn't why we have wars. Sin is why we have wars. Sin is why we idolize our football teams, placing them above God in our lives. Sin is why we don't have a proper holy day once a week dedicated to rest in God. It's why we use the name of God as a swear word. It's why we disobey our parents. It's why people have sex outside of God's plan for sex inside marriage. And it's why we tell lies about other people to get what we want. Sin is why we think that our life or our opinion is the only one that matters. Sin is why we arrogantly ignore or even hate God and turn our backs on Him. Sin is the greatest tragedy to befall humankind. And sin is why there is so much pain and suffering in the world. But sin is why Jesus gave His life for you. Now our sin is revealed by our failure to conform to God's standard for authentic humanity. Now think about this for a minute. Nobody who's ever been born, apart from originally Adam before he sinned, and Jesus, are authentic humanity. We've never seen an authentic human. We don't represent that. Jesus is the only one who is authentically human, as well as being God, of course. Now, the tragedy is that many Christians I've met over the years think that God got a good deal with them. I used to think that. I used to think God got a good deal with me. Or that they're somehow deserve to be saved because they're nice people. The idea of suffering for the gospel is incomprehensible to them. They think Jesus is a nice bloke who is just a little bit better and nicer than we are. But none of that matters because none of us are authentic. We are truly fallen. Only Jesus is authentic humanity. We need someone to deal with the problem of our sin. We need a saviour, and that person is Jesus. Now, God helps us to understand this by giving us just ten commandments, not the 500-odd that the Judaizers are talking about. And they're given, now, this is important that you hear this, not as a set of moral rules to obey. I hope you understand this, although it's good to try. It really is good to try. But they're given as a moral law to expose how far short we fall. They come as a set of ten. And if we break one, we break all of them. 
and we've all broken at least one. And you might say to me, or Andy, or anybody else, I'm not sinful, I'm not a sinner. What you mean really is that compared to other people, I'm not a bad person. Now, compared to me, you could say that. You're going to find that out in a minute. I'm nice, you might say, and that might be well right. But sin is not about how nice you are. It's not about that. God is holy. That means that he is other than us. He's set apart and spotlessly pure. He is without equal. There is nobody equal to God. And in comparison to his holiness, even the stuff we think is good and nice is like a dirty old rag. Standing before God is the place where all humans meet as equals. If you want equality, stand before God. Because here is equality, true equality. The consequence of sin coming into the world is death and separation from God. And you might say this, you might say, hang on, hang on a second. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. But here's the problem. You see, the standard for murder is that you are angry with someone and call them names. And who hasn't done that? And the standard for adultery is that you think about someone with sex on your mind. Don't think of this as God pointing the finger. He's doing the exact opposite. He hates that sin has spoiled his perfect creation and that you have been separated from him and he wants you back. And Paul is saying, look, no matter how bad you are, knowing Christ can make you right with God, no matter how good you are, no matter how nice you are, only knowing Christ can make you right with God. Now look at me. And when I say look at me, I don't mean you have to actually look at me if you don't want to. But look at my life. Let me tell you something about it. In 1969, a teacher called Mrs. Robinson, or Miss Robinson, took me to a Christian meeting somewhere in a lecture theatre in Newcastle. Somewhere. I don't know where it was. At that meeting, I agreed to be a Christian. But I didn't repent of my sin. Later on in that year, my dad died. And then, as I said, I was shipped off to boarding school in 1969. And in 1973 at boarding school, I had another try. But again, I didn't repent of my sin. And my life turned sour after that. Now, this next bit can be a little bit overwhelming. I got into all kinds of trouble over a period of a year. And I was expelled from school stealing cigarettes from the local railway station. We broke into a kiosk there, some of us. My mother was devastated, but I didn't care. I was drinking heavily at 16. I was violent towards my mother. I somehow managed to get a job in a department store, Shepherds and Gateshead, if you remember that. And I was sacked after 10 months going in drunk on my day off and I bumped into the MD on that day which was a bit stupid I got another job and the drinking got worse I was scamming money from the owner I started shoplifting big style 
huge racks of clothes in one go, not, you know, the pick and mix. Huge racks of clothes in one go. I got into trouble with the police many times. I burgled my ex-boss's house. And eventually I was sent away for three months for a short, sharp shock in a detention centre. It's been in the news recently because of cases of abuse there. Although, apart from a few punches and so on, nothing like that happened to me, although people would call that abuse, we just called it normal. And afterwards I continued to drink. I got on an electronics course and I got a job at the local polytechnic as a technician. Drinking was also part of the culture and I continued to drink but I hid it well. I met Cindy and we were married in 1983. I continued to drink constantly and I was a heavy smoker. I was always violent when I was drunk and sometimes without the drink I was violent and Cindy suffered. She was entirely innocent but my behaviour towards her was despicable. I had various jobs but I just kept drinking. I almost destroyed our marriage. I kept spending all our money on drink. I started a business but spent most of my time drinking with my business partner. Instead of working, I was drinking and getting angry. I had other jobs, and drinking was part of the culture and part of my life. And Cindy became friends with the vicar and his wife next door. And they began to pray together and for me. And somehow, one day after a heavy drinking session where I had spent nearly a month's wages, I came to my senses. I went out Alcoholics Anonymous for seven months every night, every time there was a meeting on wherever I was. And I haven't had a drink since then. And that was 29 years ago. But the damage was done. And eventually we had to sell the little house that we loved so much because we had too much debt. We had just started a family. We moved into a council house and Cindy became part of a church. Cindy prayed for me for 18 months. If it wasn't for Cindy's love, patience, intervention and prayers I would certainly be long dead we eventually got another house and I was now 31 and Cindy persuaded me to go to a Billy Graham meeting on a big screen at the church it was there that I first heard about the problem of sin in the human heart and how there was a price to pay for that sin a debt that I could not pay and it was there that I first truly met my saviour Billy spoke from Luke 7 And I heard the story of a woman who had many sins, lived a sinful life, and was frowned upon by the religious leaders of the day. She wet Jesus' feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, and broke a jar of perfume over them because she loved him. I heard that no matter how big the of my sin, like this woman, Jesus had the power to forgive my sins. All I had to do was repent to turn to Jesus and receive God's forgiveness. And when I heard these words from Luke 7, the words Jesus said to the woman, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. At once my heart broke, and I was truly sorry for my sin. I turned to Jesus, and the burden and great guilt of my sin was lifted, and I handed my life over to Christ, and Cindy came forward with me. And this was different to the other times. I had repented. This time I heard the gospel, and I had received the Holy Spirit and changed on the inside, 
And some things changed immediately, but some took years. And some are still happening. I know that repentance is a thing I have to do every day. Now, I love my wife more than words can say. We both have scars. We want to be real here. We both have scars due to those really bad times. And I have to constantly be reminded of the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, I'm a sinner saved by God's gracious intervention in my life. And I am no different than anyone else. But where my sin is obvious because I am a greater sinner, it's obvious to see where I went wrong, in other words. For a lot of people, it isn't quite as clear. It's easy for me, like Paul, for different reasons, to say my life was a pile of dung. Because that's what the word they use as garbage in the NIV says. Scubalon. It's a word that means excrement, dung, street refuse. It can be used in different ways. But what Paul's saying is, actually those dogs, the stuff they're peddling is street refuse. That's the stuff the dogs lick up. It's easy for me to say that. But it's not so easy if you're a more regular person like probably most of you are here. And maybe your life is here or in a similar place. And you might say, how can God deal with the sin of a man like me and bring me back to himself? Well, it's because of Jesus. Paul is saying that everybody can be right with God and gain this resurrection life now as well as when you die. You can be right with God, but only through faith in Christ. And this is what Paul knows, that he's a sinner. In spite of being the most religious person, he knows that none of that can make him right with God. In fact, he says his life is garbage, refuse, street rubbish, excrement. It's both worthless and something that should cause revulsion. Compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, it has no value in your becoming right with God. But he is saying this. This is what surpassing means. He's saying the value of knowing Christ is exceptional. It is extraordinary Remarkable, outstanding, striking, phenomenal. It is rare. It is great. It is supreme. It is sublime. It is preeminent. It's consummate. It's incomparable. It's inimitable, incredible, unrivaled, unparalleled, matchless, unmatched, unequal, peerless. It's unsurpassed. It's superlative. It's beyond words. It's beyond description. So what can we do? How can we apply it to our lives? Well, actually, we're like the man on the train. So the first thing we can do is face up to that. The thing that separates us from God is our sin. And you might not think you're like that man. But we're all like that. I've met people who think that the act of them repenting in a meeting once makes them right because weren't they good enough to come forward or something like that. That's not it at all. That's not even it. It's Jesus taking the wrath of God as a propitiation for our sin that matters. Somebody had to take the punishment and Jesus did that. We are the excremental man on the train who's covered. We are covered in sin. The big news that Paul is announcing is that we can't work our way out of it. God wants to forgive our sin and knowing Christ, not eating the right food and drinking the right drink and being circumcised is the way to be right. I'm not talking here about, you know, we shouldn't break bread or anything like that because we should, 
obviously, but that will not get you saved, is what I'm saying, and it's what Paul's saying. Are you pointing the finger at others this morning? Perhaps you've become like the Judaizers. I know a lot of people who have. Are you perhaps on some moral crusade instead of pursuing Christ Jesus? One thing you could do is humble yourself and stop. Do you need, like Paul, to soften your heart today? You can receive the grace of God. Or maybe you've found yourself somehow in church and you're trying to gain salvation or rightness with God by being seen to do all the right stuff for God. Perhaps you could stop. You could spend time in prayer and study instead. And do you feel dead inside like you've coasted into the church like some driftwood somehow washed up on a remote beach? You're not quite sure why you're here this morning. Somehow you haven't really come to Christ. You can come to him today. He can change your life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you can become a Christian this morning. Jesus can come and dwell inside you. It's very simple. I can help you afterwards. Andy can help you. There are others here who can help you. If you're not a Christian today, I urge you, give your life to Christ today. Do what Paul did. Count everything else that's gone before this morning as street refuse that the dogs eat compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And for all of us, we should do what Paul did. But we should consider everything that's gone before as rubbish. And I had a slight worry about this. I think, what if you don't think everything that goes before was rubbish? You might want to think about that. It is rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ and sharing in his sufferings. Now, all I can say is this. What helps me to know him is prayer. I keep my life, or try to keep my life quite simple. There are four things I do that try to help, that I think help me know God. Prayer, listening to his voice. You know, the Bible says that we my sheep hear my voice telling people about the good news and reading the Bible just those four things perhaps we could just do those few things and follow Paul's example I just want to close in prayer right now thank you Father for the immense change you bring in our lives that as we heard before you bring us out of the dominion of darkness and bring us into a kingdom of light and we thank you for that I pray for all of us here today I ask Lord God for those of us who are here this morning who aren't yet Christian I pray that you would put the divine spark in our hearts that you would regenerate us, that you would bring us to life, that it might be said of us that we are a new creation, that if anyone is in Christ, the new has come, the old has gone. Father, I pray for us this morning that we would study your word, that we would pray, 
that we would be passionate about your word, that we would be passionate about the lost, that we would be passionate about prayer, Lord God. Ask for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.